The disappearance of Jasmine Lovett and Elias Anderson left the town of Calgary in a state of shock. But when the police turned their attention to the couple's landlord, Robert Leeming, the true horror of the situation was revealed. Leeming had a dark and twisted mind, and the police soon uncovered evidence of a gruesome crime, the remains of Jasmine and Aliyah buried in the backyard of his property. Welcome to our channel, where we bring you the most bone-chilling stories of true crime. Today, we delve into the case of Robert Leeming, a man whose actions sent shockwaves through the town of Calgary. The scene was one of unspeakable horror. The bodies had been mutilated and dismembered, and the full extent of Leeming's depravity was slowly uncovered. The Robert Leeming case remains a chilling reminder of the darkness that can lurk within the human soul. It is a story that will haunt the town of Calgary forever, a stark reminder that sometimes the most terrifying monsters are the ones that walk among us. The evergreen spruce, the sweet maple syrup, and the powdery snow. Naturally, I'm referring about Canada, and the city of Calgary in the country's western half is where we'll be focusing today's investigation. Because of its location to the east of the mountainous Banff National Park in Canada, Calgary is largely cut off from its surrounding communities. However, that is not always a negative thing to be the case. A highly pleasant style of life attracts millions of tourists each year who come to enjoy the region's breathtaking scenery, charming resort towns, and overall relaxed atmosphere. And Jasmine Lovett and her daughter Elias Anderson made their home far out in the southwestern reaches of the Calgary suburbs. Robert Leeming was Jasmine's landlord, and she was paying rent on a monthly basis to live with him. And despite the fact that this leasing arrangement was solely for business purposes, Jasmine and Robert do not have a business-like relationship. Jasmine had just ended her relationship with Elias' father shortly after the birth of their daughter Elias. And as you can probably understand, the fact that Jasmine was a young mother raising her child by herself put her in a precarious position. She was first to navigate the challenges of day-to-day -day living on her own at the age of 24, when she was abandoned. Aliyah, Jasmine's infant daughter, was the center of Jasmine's universe. But Jasmine wasn't only a mother. She had a lot of other facets to her personality as well. She continued to have unmet requirements and wants, as well as the need to be loved. As a result, once she ended her relationship with Elias' father, she started using dating apps in order to locate a new significant other. It was on one of these applications when she first met a new person. His name was Robert Leeming, and he was from the United Kingdom. The two of them started chatting to one another, and over the course of time, they developed a deeper friendship, which ultimately led to the beginning of a casual relationship. After dating for only a month, Jasmine found herself in a challenging housing position, which in turn caused Robert to offer for her to come reside with him, on the premise that she could afford a little amount of rent. Jasmine accepted this offer, but only on the condition that she could afford the rent. As time went on, the routine at home was uncomplicated, and Robert was more than willing to pitch in and assist Tate for Aliyah whenever Jasmine wanted to go to work or do some errands. 
and in exchange, Jasmine would provide Robert's kid who lived with his ex-girlfriend with solace and assistance when it came to issues with Robert's son. Jasmine felt blessed to have Robert in her life. It is said that he was a partner who was extremely supportive. And this cheerful way of life would continue, but only for a limited time since Robert Lee Ming truly had a troubled past. Robert was born on a home away from home, on a British Army installation that was located in Germany. His father was an officer in the British military, and his father was stationed there. But not long after that, Robert's parents relocated back to England, and the most of Robert's boyhood was spent in the quaint community of Marlborough, which is located in the county of Wiltshire in England. His upbringing was rather typical and rustic, since he spent much of his childhood in the countryside alongside his brothers Christopher and George Leeming. On the other hand, when they were seven years old, weird fascinations started to arise. Robert began his collection of knives when he was so young that he didn't even fully understand what they were. Not something one would anticipate from a youngster of seven years old, but rather from a rebellious adolescent. And even more strangely, Robert's parents gave their blessing for him to retain these knives. In preparation for his transition into adulthood, Robert made the decision to forego attending college in favor of obtaining the skills necessary to work as a heavy equipment mechanic. In the latter part of the 2000s, Robert began corresponding with a young educator from Canada whose name was Sarah. They did this when Robert was using the internet. The two would talk on the phone nearly every single night altering their respective sleeping schedules in order to accommodate the time zone difference. And before each of them realized it, they had fallen in love with the other. However, there was one thing that was keeping them from taking their relationship to the next level, and that item was the Atlantic Ocean. It's been said that being apart may help a person's love for another grow deeper, and although this may be true, it surely can't. However, Living a significant distance from your lover for an undetermined period of time might be challenging. Sarah was going to school to become a teacher at the time, and she wasn't sure that she wanted to give up her studies for a man with whom she had never actually shared a home. Therefore, Robert made the decision to submit an application for residency in Canada. Because of Canada's large size, the country rallies largely on its trucks to fulfill its economic demands. As a result, the demand for heavy machinery technicians was quite strong. Fortunately, this led to a large number of job opportunities. Robert uprooted his life and went to the rugged hills of Canada after he was given permanent status in the United States. Prior to this, Robert had lived in a lovely rural town in Massachusetts called Marlborough. To be more specific, Sarah was a resident of Calgary, and not long after they moved there, in the month of February 2013, the couple tied the knot. They acquired a brand new townhouse in the new estate of Cranston's Cranfield, which was a fantastic spot to begin a family, which is precisely what occurred before they bought their first apartment together in the suburb of Cranston, which was somewhat over their comfortability. They welcomed their first child, a son, not long after, and shortly after that, they got a dog named Axel, who became the fourth member of the family.
a relationship that was previously fractured by the presence of an ocean would, despite its difficult beginnings, eventually mature into the kind of love story that is ideal for a family. Right. You wouldn't be blamed for believing that at all. Nevertheless, in the year 2017, they would end up divorcing each other. The grounds for this divorce were also extremely clear and easy to comprehend. The shadowy aspects of Robert Leeming's life go quite deep. In the legal documents for the divorce that Sarah had to sign, it was stated that Robert had been emotionally abusing her for many years. In these records, Sarah makes the allegation that her ex-partner told her he told me I was crazy, told me I was nuts, called me useless and worthless, and told me I needed psychiatric help. Sarah further asserted that Robert informed her that he blamed her for ruining his life because she gave him a life that he did not want to continue living, a baby that he did not want, and a dog that he did not care for. Sarah stated that Robert told her this. He blamed Sarah for each and every failure and obstacle that he encountered throughout his life. Even outside of his marriage, difficulties began to manifest themselves. Robert often changed jobs, citing the reason that he was frequently accused of stealing from his employer as the cause for his job hopping. In addition to it, he was frequently involved in drug use. In the later stages of his marriage to Sarah, he developed a habit of consuming marijuana and drinking alcohol on a regular basis. While this might not be an issue at all, common sense tells us that everything should be done in moderation. In addition to that, three counts of animal cruelty were brought against him. The most embarrassing thing that had happened to him was when he took the family dog, Axel, up into the mountains and left him there to starve to death chained to a tree without any food or water. As a result of the accumulation of all of this conduct over the course of several years, Sarah came to believe that she and her kid were in imminent danger. Additionally, Robert was still collecting knives, and at this point in time, he owned more than 60 of them. He also had a collection of handguns, which he kept in a safe deposit box at his house. The couple followed through with the divorce and then officially separated, which ultimately led to a no-contact order being issued between them. And as for the boy, who is just four years old, well, it should come as no surprise that he chose Sarah. And because of earlier carelessness on Robert's part, he was only allowed to visit his son under the utmost scrutiny. But now that Sarah was out of danger and out of the scene, Robert was beginning to experience feelings of isolation. After that, he made the decision to use dating apps, which is, of course, how he initially connected with Jasmine. Robert, as time went on, and especially when Jasmine moved in, began to experience feelings of being shackled once more as a result of Jasmine and her kid. Robert was left feeling quite miserable as a result of this sensation. And in an act of desperation, he re-downloaded many previous dating applications. But Jasmine had a lot of intelligence. She was aware that something was up, and she had observed that Robert exhibited peculiar behavior whenever he was in her presence. Even her sister, Genevieve, who had always thought that Jasmine and Robert's connection was a little bit odd, 
was apprised of her sister's worries about the situation. In the end, Jasmine confronted Robert with the allegation that he had been unfaithful to her. Even though he denied it, she understood in her heart of hearts what was really going on. Unfortunately, the circumstances would create the groundwork for a relationship that would be fraught with difficulties. But in spite of this, they continued to present themselves to the outside world as a couple, even when they were present at gatherings with Jasmine's extended family. This included a get-together with Jasmine's family on April 14, 2019, when Robert and Jasmine went out to dinner with Jasmine's mother, Kim, and sister, Genevieve. Also present at the meal were Robert's parents. The supper went off without a hitch. There was nothing out of the usual between the two, and the most of the day was spent having fun with Aliyah and taking advantage of the pleasant weather associated with the beginning of spring. But Jasmine's family had no idea that this would be the very last time they would ever see either Jasmine or Aliyah again. They thought they would see both of them again in the future. On the 19th of April in 2019, Jasmine's family planned to come together for supper. The offer was accepted by Jasmine, and Kim began making all of the necessary arrangements. The only thing required of Jasmine and Genevieve was to show there. However, Jasmine was not able to make it, and when they attempted to reach her, her phone would ring many times before finally connecting to her voicemail. In relation to Jasmine, this was a very rare occurrence. She was very thoughtful and forthcoming with information to her family, with whom she maintained consistent contact both in person and on the phone. In point of fact, throughout her whole life, she had maintained pretty consistent communication with both her mother and her sister. Even a short period of stillness, only a few of days, felt eerie. However, her family believed that it was possible that she had just let time to pass her by, and as a result, they did not maintain any more connection with her. But when another two days passed with no word from Jasmine, Kim started to become concerned about the situation. After making that decision, she set out for Robert's townhouse to see how his family was doing. As I approached the front door, I did not see anything out of the ordinary. The front yard was a mess with Elias toys all over the place, and there were two pairs of sneakers sitting on the front porch. She did, however, note that the shoes were damp, as though they had recently been cleaned with a hose. However, after banging on the front door, no one came to the door to answer it. She gave it one more attempt, but to no avail. Kim retreated, bewildered about the next step to take. However, after two days of silence went into five, her fears reached a point where they could no longer be ignored any longer. Jasmine Lovett and Elias Anderson, Kim's daughter and granddaughter, were reported as missing at a nearby police station by Kim, who made the trip down to make the complaint. The authorities moved swiftly to open an inquiry into their disappearance and it was decided that the search would initially focus on the individual's last known place of abode, which was, of course, Robert's townhouse. Officers from the police department showed up at Robert's home the very following day. However, in a manner identical to Kim's visit, when they knocked on the door, all that they heard in response was silence. 
because they did not receive a response. They speculated that he might not be at home. Consequently, after posting a note on his home door, they went back to their vehicle and waited there for him to return. He failed to show up at any point. However, when it became darker outside, the police would see from their core that the lights inside the house were going on and off at random intervals. As a result, the police returned to the house with a renewed sense of interest. But this time they banged more forcefully and yelled for his name, certain that he was already inside. And finally, Robert gave in to the pressure. He released the cop's handcuffs and unlocked the door for them. Robert was obviously incredibly intoxicated and high at the same time. She is with her sister when she asks, how's it going? To say the least, that doesn't exactly make a lot of sense. We'll just take a short glance around to see if there's anything we need to look at, all right? And you say your name is Robert. Okay. Hey, we've been here for what seems like hours and hours and hours now. Hey. Banging on your doorbell. All right. So she's not with her sister. That makes sense. What exactly do you mean? Well, that's the whole point of us being here, isn't it? I believe that our family has been phoning us and telling us that we haven't heard from our daughter or our sister. That's why we're here. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, it makes sense. Okay, I get that. But how does it make any sense? Because I haven't had someone either. Because I haven't had anyone. All right, so do you guys ever get into a fight of some kind? Well, not that you're aware of. Like you're not making a whole lot of sense, she said. You're not making a whole lot of sense. Just like, I have no idea what. What? Sorry for the inconvenience, but I'm just trying to get my footing here. Therefore, she is not with her family, and she has been making threats to leave the house. I recall around three weeks ago, we were all worked up over something. She threw out a lot of my belongings including food and other such items. Nothing that would make me worry, and nothing that would make you worry, is that clear. In the past, I've allowed other people to live with me, and they eventually moved out. Yes, but this isn't the same as having a roommate at all. This is your girlfriend, right here. A pleasant little roommate, okay. Just out of curiosity, when was the last time you saw Jasmine? And back then, you guys were good to go or you were fighting, right? Or what was the current situation? If I had to guess, I'd say in the air, given everything that has obviously transpired. Just, you know, make sure to drink a lot of water over the course of the weekend when I'm alone myself. Correct. All right. Does she have access to a call? I can't say for sure. On the other hand, she does not have a life outside of the door. I was unaware of it. All right, I'm going to give mom a call right now. And then, it should come as no surprise that the cops were not convinced by Robert's account or even his actions, to tell you the truth. However, in order for the authorities to take any action on the situation, they would first need to go and get a search warrant for his residence. 
and the warrant would be eventually obtained by the police just one day later after speaking with Robert. On the afternoon of the 25th of April, during the early afternoon hours, a SWAT squad went to Robert's residence in order to arrest him. And very shortly after we arrived, things would begin to take an odd turn very rapidly. To begin, it was quite difficult to enter the building through the front entrance. However, despite repeated attempts to force it open, the door remained stubbornly closed. After the police had obtained entrance to the building through the rear door, they made their way through the building to open the front door, where they were met with the scene that you see below. Before he was taken into custody, Robert had secured his home by blocking the front door with barge poles. And as they continued their investigation, the detectives discovered many pieces of bacon hidden about the house, including one hanging from the back of a dining chair and another strip tape under the cap of a dry sump system in the room where the furnace was housed. They would also locate a podlock on the entrance to the master bedroom, which is where Robert stored his firearms as well as his huge knife collection. But none of these peculiar evidence pointed to any kind of wrongdoing whatsoever. Robert said that the last time he saw Jesmine and Elia was on April 18th, when the three of them went for a picnic near Brad Creek. Robert made this statement when he was being held for arrest. He asserted, we went out for some beers and just relaxed, and when we came back, they were here. The following day, I spent the day elsewhere, and when I returned, they were nowhere to be found. Robert also denied being in a relationship with Jasmine and told the authorities that there was no way he could do anything to a young mother or her daughter. Robert's defense was based on the fact that there was no way he could do anything to a young mother or her daughter and it would appear that he was elsewhere at the time when Jasmine was leaving the premises. Although the circumstances surrounding Jasmine and Elia's abduction are odd, our inquiry did not uncover any meaningful evidence that tied Robert Leeming to their disappearance. They had no choice but to let Robert go because there was no proof against him. Just one day later, he was let go and dropped down in a nearby shopping mall. There. He was instructed to wait patiently until forensic analysis was completed, and he was freed only 24 hours after his arrest. And then, in true British fashion, he made his way to the nearest bar for some drinks. The media turned up after a few beers, and once they were there, they requested if they could do an interview with him. And being inebriated, he consented. And, if you think about it, Doing that from the beginning maybe wasn't the best idea, especially considering the manner in which he responded to some of those queries. Okay, ready to go. Okay, well, I mean, the past few days have been quite hectic. Big inquiry. What are some things that you can share with us about your experience with this over the past few of days? Yeah, I can. The tactical team detained me for questioning. From what I've seen, this is a rather harsh measure. Obviously, anything like this has never happened to me before, and the investigation is still ongoing. The question is, so, how long were you held in police custody? 24 hours, I believe it was. So, tell me, what have you been up to since we last spoke? She's been here. 
literally. So, was she actually living there at the time? Correct. Okay, so I take it you own the house. Correct. Tenancy is her legal status. Together with her daughter, a liar, she is a renter at the house. Certainly, in the company of her daughter. Okay, so that's how far your relationship went, right? You were her landlord, right? Correct. And the two of you lived together. Correct. Um, I was wondering if the two of you ever had any kind of romantic contact with one other. Or, is there not? There was a sh um, a libro. Um, it gets closer to the conclusion, but no. What kind of a connection do you have with Jasmine? If you don't mind me asking. Good. I mean, were you together in a romantic relationship or were you just friends? Nothing scared me until, of course, I was taken into custody, he said. So, what exactly is going on with you at this very moment? Um, I guess I'll just have to wait until I get a phone call telling me that I can leave, he said. How are you feeling despite everything that's going on? Um, traumatized is the obvious term, he said. Is there anything else that you want to add to all of this? Yeah. If somebody sees her or Aliyah, Jasmine, or Leah, please, you know, let the authorities know so that they can keep an eye out for them. They told me that they would be through with the property today and that I would be free to return to the property once they were finished. You're planning on spending the night in that place, right? During this interview, there were a number of problematic indicators that indicated that Robert knew more than he was actually leading on, and his choice of words frequently presented a much more worrisome conclusion to the case. During this interview, there were a number of troubling signs that indicated that Robert knew more than he was actually leading on. For instance, it was pointed out that he talked about Jasmine in the past tense when he was describing her. Did she associate with persons who should not be trusted? Was she a decent human being? I am aware that she was a decent and kind human being. There was not a single thing that I could criticize or complain about in relation to her. She was a kind and kind lady. There were never any problems between us. Robert's body language frequently did not correspond with his words, and he constantly seemed to turn away when responding to queries that required serious thought. I'm just interested, seeing as how you've been extremely forthcoming with the press here today. Why do you feel the need to communicate with the media at this time? Because there is nothing I need to keep secret. You were kind of the main suspect in this house, the detective told. You still are. What are your feelings about it right now? And what are your opinions about what just happened? What are some of the things that are running through your head? It's very stressful, but I hope they'll be found, and I hope that we can move on from this. I know it's been a while, but I really hope they're found. We were friends, unquestionably friends, and we looked out for one another. Additionally, he had an unpleasant habit of saying correct an excessive number of times in a row. After an examination that yielded no definitive results, Robert was ultimately given permission to re-enter his house later that evening. Even though the results of the forensic investigation turned up nothing, 
the Calgary police were still determined to find some answers. Despite the fact that the surrounding forest had been thoroughly searched, nothing of significance was discovered. A thorough investigation of the area CCTV tape would reveal that the last time Jasmine and Aliyah were seen together was on April 15 at a store that was located only a few miles away from their home. On the other hand, that was all there was to it. Robert steadfastly maintained his innocence in every possible situation, stating that he was with another lady at the time that his ex-girlfriend and her daughter went missing. On the other hand, Robert's health and conduct continued to deteriorate for the rest of the month of April. The Calgary Police Department continued to view Robert as their most likely culprit in this investigation. However, it was still necessary for them to discover a connection between him and Jasmine's disappearance. Psychologists examined the public interviews that he had given, and based on his body language, they came to the conclusion that he had acted in a dishonest manner. Therefore, after a very uninteresting investigation, the Calgary Police Department made the decision to take this case to the next level. Operation Highwood was the code name given to the plan that Child Protective Services used to carry out their investigation into Robert's activities behind his back. The objective was straightforward. Undercover law enforcement officers were to act as cop-hating informants to Robert, acquire his trust, and then determine whether or not Robert was involved in the abduction of Jasmine and Aliyah. But the truth they eventually uncovered was far more ominous and complete than they had anticipated. In May of 2019, two undercover cops approached Robert as he came out of a liquor store close to his house. The store was under investigation for possible illegal activity. They contacted him while pretending to be residents who lived in the area and had watched his media interview. The ruse was that they had seen the interview themselves. They voiced their worries to Robert and informed him that they knew someone who had found a bag of evidence that implicated Robert in Jasmine's abduction. The evidence suggested that Robert was responsible for Jasmine's disappearance. And, to everyone's surprise, Robert accepted the ruse and led the undercover cops to his place of employment where he was confident that he would not be under surveillance at that particular location. In addition, when he was there, he engaged in conversation with the people he claimed to be his new friends for a number of hours. The conversation focused entirely on the events that actually transpired between Jasmine and Aliyah. And sadly, both of them had already passed away. He was responsible for Jasmine's death and buried her alongside her own. After 4.5 hours, Robert finally consented to drive his new best friends to their destination, which was about Grizzly Creek in Kananaskis County, which is located around 90 miles west of Calgary. After getting out of his car, Robert escorted the two other men through a grove of trees and then abruptly stopped when he reached the end of the path. One of the guys remarked, Okay, so where to? To which Robert answered, you're looking at it. Robert was the only one who knew the answer. A blue blanket was laying next to their feet, hidden behind the fresh mulch and brittle branches that were there. They were staring at the tomb of Jasmine and Aliyah, which was rather shallow. 
A gunshot wound could be seen behind Jasmine's left ear, giving the appearance that she had been shot in the head. And as for young Aliyah, her skull had been injured as a result of the accident. The atmosphere was permeated by the overpowering odor of gasoline. Officers would then expose Robert's one major error once the corpses of the victims had finally been recovered. And with that out of the way, they would go ahead and place him under arrest for the murder of Jasmine Lovett and Aliyah Anderson. The revelation that Robert had been keeping a secret has now made it possible for the truth about what occurred to Aliyah and Jasmine to be brought to light at some point in the future. On the 16th of April 2019, Jasmine and Aliyah were observed shopping at their neighborhood grocery store before to returning to Robert's residence. In the later hours of that day, Robert was watching over Aliyah while Jasmine was out from the house. According to Robert, Aliyah was injured when she supposedly tumbled down the flight of stairs leading to their front room. In addition, it would appear that Robert was unaware of the severity of her wounds. Therefore, rather than alerting the authorities, he decided to put her to bed. Later that night, Jasmine arrived back to her house, and when she went to check on her daughter Aliyah, she discovered that her daughter had passed away. Fear, anguish, and a general sense of disorientation overcame Jasmine completely. There was only one person to blame for what happened. Jasmine confronted Robert because she was upset about the circumstance, and the two of them got into a heated dispute that continued until Robert ultimately lost his cool. Jasmine's frustration led Robert to lose his cool. He grabbed a hammer from the kitchen counter, and while Jasmine wasn't looking, he hit her in the back of the head with it. He then left the scene. She went crashing to the ground, still conscious and bleeding. Robert wasn't finished yet despite the fact that he was still seething from the altercation and full of wrath. He dashed up to the second floor, unlocked the door to the master bedroom, and grabbed one of his weapons. After returning to the basement, he saw Jasmine sleeping on the floor there. He pressed the trigger on the gun while aiming it towards her head. After that, Robert covered the two bodies with a blue moving sheet, and cleaned up the crime scene to hide his traces of involvement. The next day, on April 17, Robert was seen putting gasoline in his automobile as well as an additional jerry can. This occurred after he had been followed the day before. And then, after some time had passed, around 6 o'clock in the evening, the bodies were said to have been dumped, and he was subsequently observed in a cannabis retail store. The very following day, it was reported that he had been seen tossing trash into the dumpsters that belonged to his condominium complex. After some time had passed, the investigators were able to find several of these things, some of which were crucial to the trial. In an additional attempt to disguise his traces, Robert was once again spotted on surveillance footage driving his vehicle through a car wash. The judicial processes in this case are rather chaotic and disorganized. But in November of 2021, Robert pled guilty to the murder of Jasmine Lovett. This occurred two years after the events described in the previous sentence. However, he would enter a not guilty plea to the charge of murdering Aliyah Anderson, maintaining that the circumstances surrounding her passing were entirely unintended. 
Robert maintains, even to this day, that she went down the stairs due to an unfortunate accident. Even while forensic analysis states that this is a possibility, the data indicates that it is extremely improbable that this is indeed the case. And considering the amount of times Robert has lied to various individuals, including law enforcement, the media, and the general public, can we truly put our faith in what he says? Now that Robert has entered a guilty plea in the case involving Jasmine Lovett, but a not guilty plea in the case involving Elia Anderson, the judge will announce their decision on January 24, 2022. And because Canadian accusations of second-degree murder carry life sentences, Robert won't be eligible for parole for anywhere between 10 and 25 years at the earliest. These numbers might treble if he is also found guilty of Elias' killing. In addition, if you would want complete case closure, you may check out the case updates that I provide on Instagram. I will include a link to that in the description of the video that is located below. Some people have referred to Robert Leeming as Canada's Chris Watts since his case has eerie parallels to the case of Chris Watts, while others have called him Canada's Chris Watts. And to tell you the truth, I can understand why. Both Robert and Chris were wandering aimlessly through life, paying little attention to the people who were closest to them. They brutally murdered the individuals who cared for them the most, then cleaned up the crime scene as if it had no significance and buried their victims' remains in the most inaccessible location possible. They lied to the press, they lied to the police, and they even lied to themselves about what had happened. But the holes in their explanations were glaring from the very beginning of the conversation. They were trapped as the events of their own narrative began to unravel in front of them. In order to bring today's investigation to a close, I thought I'd conclude off by reading out a statement that Jasmine had written about her life in the year 2017. In a message that she shared with her friends on Facebook, she wrote, If I could talk to everyone in the world at the same time, I would tell them to take it easy and appreciate what they've achieved up to this point in their lives. Instead of constantly dwelling on the things you don't have or the places you want to go in life but aren't there, you should work to find your inner peace and maintain a humble attitude. Also, keep in mind that everyone is navigating their own incredible adventure. Accept who you are, be outspoken and proud of it, and keep a good attitude. You're doing amazing. I really appreciate you taking the time for the case today. Remember to give us a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already done and you thought this case was interesting and would want more content like it in the future. What are your opinions on Robert Leeming? And do you believe he will be found guilty in connection with the killing of Elia Anderson? I would appreciate it if you could share your ideas in the comments section below. Now thank you again and goodbye.